Well, I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. We're in a series studying four chapters from the book of Luke, and the series is called The Heart of Jesus. And in this uh, series, each of these chapters from Luke chapter 13 to 16 gives us a glimpse into something that Jesus cares about, something that's on his heart, something that's important to him. In chapter 13, we learn that Jesus values a repentant heart. Uh, in chapter 14, Jesus values a humble heart. In chapter 15, Jesus talks about a heart for lost people. And today in chapter 16, Jesus talks about having a generous heart. And in this particular chapter, Jesus is going to talk specifically about money. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about money. 11 out of 39 parables that Jesus told were about money. And in this chapter, we have two of those parables. A parable is simply a story that has an important meaning attached to it. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and a poor man. In the story, there's a rich man who could afford all of the latest clothes, all of the latest flat fashions. He had plenty of food. He had many of many servants. He became rich because he was a good manager of the riches that God had given to him. But while the, this rich man was living the life and enjoying the life outside of his gates, sat a poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus lay there every day begging for scraps of food, and the dogs would come and lick the sores that were on his body. Both men died at the same time. Lazarus, the poor man, is ushered into heaven, and the rich man dies, and he goes to the place of the dead, where he is tormented day and night. The rich man cries out to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water just so he can cool my tongue a little bit. He says, I'm in anguish because of these flames. So the rich man is in hell, the poor man is in heaven, and their situations have reversed from their earthly life. The rich man in his earthly life cared nothing for this poor beggar, Lazarus, but now he's the beggar. And he's begging for Lazarus to come and just give him a little bit of water. And in the context of this chapter, the story is about generosity. The rich man refused to be generous with his earthly wealth. And in the afterlife, he ends up becoming the poor man begging for a drop of water. It's a parable about the unimportance of earthly things compared to the importance of eternal things. The other parable in this chapter is the story of a shrewd Manager. That's what the story is often called, but actually the guy's a very bad manager and he's about to be fired because he is a poor steward of his master's resources. But before he's fired, he uses his master's wealth to be very generous and he calls in people and cancels their debts and he is just using his master's wealth to bless people. He's a poor manager, but he's very generous. And in the middle of these two parables, Jesus says something very profound. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In one parable, the rich man is enslaved to his money, and as a result, he cannot truly worship God. And even though he does all the right things and he thinks he's going to heaven, his God is really his money and he's enslaved to his money, he can't give any of it away. Money was his God while he lived on his earthly life. The shrewd manager does something different. He gives all of his master's money away. 
But he doesn't know how to manage his master's money properly. So Jesus says, some of you who think you are serving God, but you're really enslaved by your money. Money is really your God. You can't serve two masters. Why does Jesus talk so much about money? Why are all these parables in the Bible about money? Why are there so much teaching in the rest of the Bible about money? Is it because religious people are just trying to rip people off? Was Jesus on commission somehow? Like if he got more disciples, he got more money, and somehow that was what his motivation was? No, that wasn't it. Jesus lived a very frugal life. Jesus wasn't out to try and become rich. He was actually the opposite of that in the way that he lived his life. Did Jesus talk about money because he was a charlatan? Maybe he was trying to swindle people out of their hard-earned cash and No, that wasn't it either. Jesus talked about money so frequently because he understood a really important principle. And the principle is this, that money's the number one thing that will compete with our hearts about God. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can serve the one, but you can't really serve two. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other or despise the one and love the other. And then he adds, you cannot serve both God and money. Here's my question. Why did Jesus single out money? Why didn't Jesus say, well, you can't serve both God and Buddha? Or you can't serve both your, your boyfriend and God? Or you can't serve both your, your, your car and God? You can't serve your, your possessions and God? But Jesus singled out money because he understood that money doesn't lead to satisfaction in life. Anyone who has lived on both sides of the equation, you've been maybe poorer and you have come into some resources, you understand that money and possessions and stuff does not lead to a happier life. In fact, sometimes having a lot of resources is a burden and it is complicated and being wealthy work uh, looks easy from the outside looking in, but really from the inside, money does not lead to satisfaction. It leads to more complications. It leads to more challenges. It leads to more responsibilities. Money doesn't satisfy because for someone who loves money, there is always going to be a need for more money, so they'll never be satisfied. So we see people in our culture who have quite a bit of money, and yet they're never quite satisfied. There's always a hunger in them for something more. There's always a hunger in them for something beyond what they have. Jesus is also concerned about money because money's the only, uh, money is, is only useful for temporary things. Many people think, you know, the purpose of money is so that I can buy stuff. We, we need a better house. We need a better car. We need an upgraded phone. We need to buy more stuff. But when God gives us money, is that his intention? That he just wants us to buy as much stuff as we possibly can? I don't think that God, that's God's intention because here's what Jesus said about our stuff. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. You know, that house that you're living in, someday it's going to get sold and someone else is going to live in it and maybe eventually that house will be torn down and somebody will put a new house on that property. That car you drive is going to rust out. It's going to end up in the junkyard, sold for parts, your phone is going to lose battery power. Your clothes are going to wear out. Jesus' point is that we don't take anything with us when we die. You never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse on the way to a graveyard, right? It just doesn't work that way. You cannot take it with you. There's a kind of an old story parable about a lady who heard 
that she was able to take one suitcase with her after she died. She could go to the pearly gates with one suitcase. And so she's like, what do I want to bring from this life? And so she puts this in her suitcase. She carries along with her, gets to the pearly gates, meets St. Peter. He says, what do you got there in your suitcase? He opens it up. It's full of gold bars. And he says, oh, you brought pavement. And uh, of course, because the streets are paved with gold in heaven, right? So it means something to us here, but in heaven, it's totally different. In, in eternity, these things have a different value. They're just pavement. Jesus is concerned about money because it's the number one thing that will compete with God for your heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. There's something about where we spend our money that indicates something about where our heart is. We've got a record collection, we've got a book collection, we've got hobbies, we've got children, we've got grandchildren, whatever we spend our money on, it reveals what we value, it reveals what we hold dear to our hearts, where your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be. Jesus understands that money can exert power over your life that pulls you away from God. There's something about what happens when we put money down for something that speaks to the value that it has in your life. And Jesus says, don't treasure it too much. Don't treasure your possessions too much. Don't treasure your assets too much. They're useful for the moment, but not useful for eternity. Paul said this, and I think he was reflecting on Jesus' teaching about money when he said this. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice he doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Money can be used for both good and bad things. Money is neutral. Money is amoral. Therefore, we can need money. We can work for money. We can do, you know, all of that is fine. But what he says is the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Paul went on on to say some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This corresponds to what Jesus was teaching about money in these parables. Money can compete with God for your faith and some people loving money, it causes them to wander away from the faith and in their quest for money, they end up piercing themselves with many sorrows. I remember doing a couple of missions trips to Mexico and we were building houses there and people were excited to be moving into these new places and we met a lot of great people along the way. One of the things I noticed is the kids in this region of Mexico had maybe one toy or two toys and they were grinning from ear to ear and so filled with joy and so filled with life just living life, one or two toys, happy as can be. I came home, I was a father at that point, came home, kind of watched my kids and watched other people's kids and my kids had 25 toys and then a box of, you know, three boxes of extra toys, old toys in the garage and the kids in North America are not nearly as joyful and happy and smiling and full of life as these kids in Mexico. Money doesn't bring more joy. Possessions don't bring more joy into our lives, but God brings joy and a relationship with God brings joy and God is meant to be your ultimate provider. 
Hebrews says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. God is a bit jealous in the way he talks sometimes. And here he says, you know what? It's not about money. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God is saying, when you have me, you have everything that you need. You have hope for the future. You have hope for eternal life. But you also have the one who holds this world in his hands and the one who cares for you and the one who will provide for you. Just talking to somebody last night about a need in their life. It was a need for employment, a need for work, a need for provision. And they took it to prayer and they talked about it, and they didn't even have to apply before they could take the steps that they needed to take to start you know, applying for jobs. Somebody called them and asked, hey, would you put your resume in for this position? We think that you'd be great. We think that you would be the person for this job. God is saying, put your trust in me. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. If we put God first, we always get what we need. He always supplies us with our daily bread, what we need each day, but God is a little bit jealous and he wants to be first in your life and in my life. He wants to be your ultimate provider. Ultimately, money is a tool and money is not the end goal. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world. By the way, that's us. We are the ones, if you look at humanity and the 7 billion people on the planet, we in North America, in Europe, in parts of Asia, we are the ones who are wealthy. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. The issue wasn't money. The issue was hope in God. When you go through a difficult time, you might think, you know, we have some hope, we have some assets, we have a credit rating, we, we can kind of do some things here. Or do you think to yourselves, you know, I have God and, and, and I have my God and he has always watched over me and he has always taken care of me and he has always provided for me and he has always cared for me and I know that I have the hope that God is going to take care of me even right now in what I'm facing in my life. The issue is hope. And I love how Paul says here, God has given us everything we need for our enjoyment. Everything we need to, to have, have life in this life is a gift from God for our enjoyment. God loves seeing us enjoying life. So you can take that vacation. You, can, you don't have to feel guilty about it. You can enjoy the time off that you have. You can enjoy certain things in life. God's given you these resources so that you can enjoy life and you don't have to feel guilty about that, but we ought to praise God and thank God and say, God, every good gift is from you. Everything you've given to me is from you. This job that I have, the ability to work, the mind that you've given me, the degree that you've given me, the ability to create wealth and do things that I do, God, it's from you. And you have blessed me and you have taken care of me. Here's how I would define the purpose of money. Money is a tool for us to enjoy and serve God. Money's a tool, it's not the end goal of your life, it's simply a tool for us to use. It's not eternal, it's temporary. But here's what's so powerful about money is it can be used to make an eternal impact 
on somebody else's life. In other words, we can use our money to serve God and we don't need to allow our money to serve, uh, to, to uh, allow us to serve money. We can use our, our, our money to serve God and we can use our money to follow him. Don't serve money, don't love money, don't grasp after money, but use your money as a tool to serve God and to take care of your family. So all of these things I believe are at the heart of why Jesus is so concerned about money. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us the antidote to the power of money that money exerts over us. Jesus gives us this powerful statement that we read earlier. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. So then we go, okay, well, what does that mean? What do we do with that? But Jesus actually gives us more than that. Jesus gives us the antidote to the power of money. Jesus gives us some clear instructions as to how to overcome the power of money. And this is something that I had never seen before. I've read this passage many, many times, but I haven't seen this until a few weeks ago when I was studying for this series. Jesus says the antidote to the power of money is not just one thing, but it's two things placed together. It's two things that balance each other out. In chapter 16, Jesus puts two concepts together, which on their own are actually pretty dangerous, but coupled together are very powerful. The antidote to the power of money is found in these two things, which when used together, give us the power to take control over our money rather than letting our money control us. These two things are wise stewardship and radical generosity. Wise stewardship and radical generosity. Here's what I believe. I believe we're naturally prone to one of these things, but not to both of them. So we're either naturally generous or we're naturally better managers. And both of these things on their own are actually very harmful for us. But Jesus couples both of these together when he teaches about the power of money. Think about these two parables. The rich man who didn't get to heaven he was a great steward. He took care of his wealth. He grew his wealth. He watched over his resources. He knew how to take care of earthly wealth, but he refused to be generous. Lazarus sat outside of his gate begging. He was crippled with some sort of disease. He had bed sores on his body, maybe because he couldn't move. The dogs came to lick his sores, but the rich man didn't care. And the rich man probably thought, huh, you know, that beggar, he needs a job. Or, or that Lazarus guy, his family needs to do a better job of taking care of him. Uh, he's their responsibility, not mine. So he's thinking like a steward here. I have to be careful. I can't be too generous. This is not my responsibility. He's a good steward of what God has given him, but he lacks generosity. He, he's a great steward. The, the shrewd manager in the other story, he's a poor manager. He's a poor steward. If you read the parable, that's why he's getting fired, because he can't manage his master's resources to save his life, but he is radically generous. And it's strange that Jesus tells these two stories, one about a poor steward who's radically generous, one about a good steward who lacks generosity, but sandwiched in the middle of these stories, Jesus says something very profound, that the way to counteract the power of money over your life is radical generosity. He says, here is the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In other words, be generous. Use your resources to benefit others. The rich man could have made Lazarus his friend. He could have reached out and given him some help. 
and changed the trajectory of his life, but he was so busy being caught up managing his property that he couldn't bother to use his wealth to benefit others. Some interpreters believe that Jesus is talking here about evangelism because the shrewd manager is on his way out the door and he's using his resources to make friends in his next life. And so some interpreters believe that this is about investing our resources in things that will benefit others for eternity, things that will help people to hear the good news about Jesus. And I think that it's probably both. It's probably both about using resources to help people in the here and now and using resources to help people for eternity. I think it's a both end here. So the way to counteract the power of money is radical generosity. The shrewd manager was incredibly generous with his master's resources, but Jesus also says, the way to counteract the power of money over your life is also wise stewardship. The very next verse, after he talks about radical generosity, he says, if you are faithful with little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest about little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. This is like the rich man who was a good steward and a wise steward and he took care of his resources. He was faithful with the little things, but he wasn't generous. Jesus is saying through these two parables that it's both. But here's the problem. I think we all have a predisposition towards one or the other. For me, growing up, I was always more generous. Generosity has always been easy for me, but I had to learn good stewardship. That did not come easy to me. I had friends growing up. They were naturally better stewards, but they were incredibly stingy. And they have, over the course of their life, had to learn to be generous. It's, it's not one or the other, it's both. Let me ask you a question. What keeps you from being more generous? What keeps you from being more generous? There's, sometimes there's emotions that kind of are there under the surface in our life that keep us from being more generous. What kind of emotions that do you think people feel that keep them from being generous? Anybody want to shout out an emotion that we feel that maybe keeps us from being generous? Fear of not having enough. Yeah, that's a common emotion that keeps us from being generous. Anybody else? Agony? Yeah, like it's just, it's hard to, to give. It's hard to know what to give and how much. Yeah, anybody else? Any fears that keep us from being generous? The fear of becoming poor. Yeah, you might have resources now, but if you give it all away, then you're not going to have resources later. Sometimes maybe there's anger at work that's keeping us from being generous because we're maybe saying, oh, that person needs to just get a job. Or that person, they've just made a mess of their life. It's not my problem. And, and there's a little bit of, a, of an anger there towards that individual and situation. Or maybe anger at the government. You know, government should be taking care of this. It shouldn't be me. Uh, stubbornness. I don't know if that's an emotion or not, but maybe there's stubbornness that keeps us from being generous. Maybe it's how I was raised. I, I was raised to be just very careful with my money. I was raised to be uh, uh, just watching over it, watching over my savings, all that kind of stuff. And uh, maybe I'm just more prone to stewardship than gen generosity. What keeps people from being wise stewards? So there's emotions that keep us from being wise stewards. 
What keeps us from being wise stewards? Anybody want to shout out some of the emotions that we feel? Go ahead. What others might think of us. Yeah, what others might think of us. Uh, anybody else? Fear that keeps us from wise stewardship. Laziness, yeah. Anybody else? Sorry. Lack of education, yeah. Like, okay, I want to pay those bills, but I don't know how. Like, I don't know how to do my books. I don't know how to do a budget. I don't know how to take care of all that stuff. Anybody else? Any fears that keep us from being wise stewards? Don't have math skills? <laughs> Yeah, so sometimes there's, there's insecurity, there's lack of knowledge, there's shame and guilt. Is anybody, you know, you, you kind of know you've got to get to managing stuff, but there's like shame and you know there's debt there, you know there's stuff there. It's like, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to bother starting to try to tackle that pile because I just feel so guilty about where things are at with my finances. There's how I was raised. Some of us were raised with a fear of money. Some of us were, were raised to kind of fear money rather than learning to control and manage money. Some of us are just more prone to generosity. Uh, that happens with our kids. It's like, oh, sure, have this, have this, have this. We're more prone to generosity than we are to wise stewardship. Four things from Luke chapter 16 that Jesus says that can help us be both radically generous and wise stewards. Jesus says, first of all, live an other-centered life. Giving is supposed to be fun. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard that verse, right? It's, that word blessed means happy. It's more happy to give than it is to receive. There's more happiness, there's more joy that comes to our life when we choose to give some of our resources away. And I think we all know this is true. Like, I've never been moved to tears by buying something, right? You know, like watching the credit card go over there, watching the amount come up. It's never been like, I guess maybe you could be moved to tears depending on the amount, right? You know, I could move, but, but you know, I've never been emotionally moved by like, oh yeah, you know, I'm buying something, but I've been moved by acts of generosity. I've been moved by people's response to acts of generosity and, and greed makes us grumpy and you know commercials try to sell us on buying stuff but the reality is that too much consumption actually makes us unhappy i'm still waiting you know how there's those those uh, pharmaceutical commercials where they give you the list of all of the results if you the you know, possible results if you take this med i'm still waiting like when the the car dealerships do an ad on tv for that car payment that you're going to pay you know, i'm still waiting for the real truth there like this car payment will give you nausea irritability and sleepless nights this car is going to rust out in 15 years and end up in a dumpster and it will not make you more happy in life and it will not get you that girl that you want to have, just so you know. But you'll never hear that because, of course, they're trying to sell a product, right? And they're trying to tell us how it's going to make us more happy. But it's generosity that brings joy. When we give, don't do so reluctantly or out of compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. Heard a story recently. Flight attendant uh, worked for an airline in the States where they've recently taken away meals. They're trying to save money. And so now the staff are no longer able to eat the meals being served to customers on the plane. 
So people have to bring their own lunch to work. And so people were like getting so annoyed and so frustrated with this. And God gave her an idea one day. And she now brings a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, jar of jelly, some tuna packets to work with her. And she makes sandwiches for the crew. And she says, one time I gave a sandwich to a pilot. He'd been, uh, he hadn't eaten for 16 hours. He was exhausted. He was hungry. She said, I gave him this sandwich. Tears started rolling down his face. She says, now I wake up in the morning and I'm just giddy to go to work. I just can't wait to go to work because I have this opportunity to give and I have this opportunity to pour out uh, into other people's lives. So live another centered life. Second, be faithful with small amounts. Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Here's what I've learned during my adult life as I've learned to become a good steward, is I've learned that it's actually not the big purchases in your budget that cause you the problems, it's the $5 purchases that cause you the problems. Because the big ones you're planning for, and the $5 ones you just keep thinking, well, it's only five bucks. It's only five bucks. It's only like Tim Hortons coffee and a muffin. It's only uh, Starbucks coffee. It's only this or it's only that. It's not a big deal. But what I learned is when I actually totaled out all of those on a spreadsheet one time, I realized, man, I am spending so much money on just $5 purchases and it's adding up to a huge amount and the key to actually learning to be a better steward was to be faithful with those small amounts and to be faithful with those small things and be faithful with those small purchases and those small little things because those are the things that actually eat into your budget over time. Jesus also says, be trustworthy with worldly wealth. He says, if you are untrustly with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? And it's this idea that God has called us to be stewards, that it's not ours, that it's ultimately his, that God has called us to be stewards of his stuff and his resources, and we're actually spending his money, and we're spending uh, his, his uh, resources here in this life to help take care of our families and to help pay the bills and keep the heat on and the lights on and all of that kind of stuff. Fourth, Jesus says, he refers to this idea that you will be trusted with things of your own. What does that mean? Well, it's this idea that if you serve God with your money, God will provide what you need. Paul put it this way. He says, and God will provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor their good deeds will be remembered forever. What does it mean to serve God with our money? It means taking this mindset, this is all God's. And not only that, I'm gonna to give to God first. I'm gonna to give to God first. I'm gonna make sure that God is covered. I'm gonna make sure that I'm giving into the kingdom. I'm gonna make sure that I'm giving into eternal things. I'm gonna make sure I'm giving into things that will outlast this car that I wanna buy or this, uh, this, 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 toy that I want to purchase. I'm going to give to eternal things because those ultimately are the most important and eternal things are people. People are what 
we're going to be carrying forward into the next life. So investing in helping people find Jesus, investing in discipling people, investing in, in, in people in your workplace, investing in your family and the, the, the people and family in your life and, and putting God first in that way and saying, God, this is yours. It's all yours, but I'm going to give to you first and not give to you last. I'm going to make sure that you get covered Five simple ways to get started. Embrace gratitude. This is so crucial as you're starting to move out of those $5 expenses, all that kind of stuff, is learning to embrace gratitude and learning to say, you know what? I can buy a thermos, make my coffee at home, get up 10 minutes earlier, make my coffee at home, go to work, and be content with that. Because there's so much else that's going on that's good in my life and I can embrace gratitude. Hey, I've got this car that barely functions, but at least it starts, and at least it gets me from point A to point B. Lord, Lord, thank you for this car. Lord, I have this house that, yeah, I'm frustrated with it. There's things that are going wrong, all that kind of stuff, but God, I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. Embrace gratitude. Start really small. Start really small. Learn to just manage certain things that are just small things. Sometimes it's overwhelming, to think about managing everything in our life. And maybe you just need to start with your bedroom, right? Just say, you know, I'm going to make my bed every morning. I'm going to clean my room every day. And that's me starting to be a steward. That's me starting to be a manager. And then I'm going to work out from there. And I'm going to clean my house once a week. And that's me being a good steward and a good manager. And then I'm going to tackle those, that pile of bills. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just start to manage the small things. And I'm going to move on to the bigger things as I gain more confidence and as I gain more insight and wisdom. Third thing, give first. Give first to God. Put God first on your giving priorities. Divert one specific expense. Here's a really great practical thing you can do to either save money or pay down debt or be able to give towards God and be more generous to helping people. Uh, is to divert one specific expense. So you could just say, you know what, I'm not, no longer going to do that. And I'm going to take that money and I'm going to use it for this. And, and I'm going to use it to, to pay down debt or I'm going to use it to give first to God or I'm going to use it uh, uh, for this practical savings thing that I need to do. But I'm going to divert that expense and just choose to. This kind of goes heart, hand in hand with being grateful and embracing gratitude. I'm going to choose to be grateful and I'm going to choose to divert that expense, and I'm going to make my way through this. Finally, live a more minimalist life and learn to say, hey, you know what? We've got 15 toys at home. We really don't need any more. They're not making our kids any more happy than, you know, anything else. So we just, we just need to, you know, I, 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 I don't need the latest iPhone. I don't need the latest this. I don't need the latest product. I don't need, this is good I can live this way, I can still function, and, and learning to live a minimalist life. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for today, I thank you for this par- these two parables. And God, I, I think that w- we can see ourselves in at least one of those parables. Some of us struggle to be good managers, but we're incredibly generous. We're just giving, we want to give our kids the world. We want to give our co-workers as much as we possibly can, and we just give and give and give. 
but we struggle to be good managers. And then the, the second parable about the rich man, some of us are great stewards and great managers, but we struggle to give, we struggle to be generous. God, I pray that you would help us to learn how to lean into our weaknesses. Help us to learn how to lean in. If we struggle with being generous, Lord, help us to learn how to start to be generous in practical ways that can help serve your kingdom and it can help take that money and put it into eternal things. And God, I pray that you give us wisdom and the heart and the know-how to know how to go from being stingy to generous. And Father, I pray for those of us that struggle to be good managers. God, I pray that you'd help us to learn how to curb that natural tendency to just be overly generous. But help us, Lord, to understand how to be wise stewards and how to be wise with the resources that you've given to us. I pray this because Jesus thought it was important. And Jesus thought it was really valuable for us to know. And so, God, I ask that you would help us as Jesus followers to live into these things and to be blessed as you provide and supply all of our needs. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you his perfect peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Have a fantastic Sunday. We'll see you again next week. Take care.